Welcome to the Fan Into Flame podcast. My name is Aristotle Alviso, but you can call me Ace. Each week, I'm going to teach you something new about Jesus that can change your life today. I'm also going to teach you something about revival from either the Bible or history, as well as how revival is shaping in New Orleans right now. And then we're going to take what we've learned and declare the kingdom of God over different neighborhoods and people groups in New Orleans. I'm going to do this until every heart burns in New Orleans for revival. This week's episode, we're going to talk about Jesus as faithful and true, the contrast of the Tower of Babel and Pentecost, and the Let Us Worship movement. Let's get started. Jesus as faithful and true. Here's Revelations 19 verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Last week we talked about Jesus and what he's doing now. What is also just as important is to know the Jesus that is coming soon as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Most are familiar with Jesus as the baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. But you need to see Jesus for yourself, with the eyes of your heart, as the King of glory and full of splendor. The passage I read to you is Jesus appearing to the world at the start of the millennial reign of Christ. What are the first two words described as he's seen? Faithful and true. Hallelujah. Faithful and true. Get a glimpse of Jesus as faithful and true today. So what do we mean by faithful? Psalm 13.5 says, But I have trusted in your faithfulness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. When you, know, when you know someone is faithful, it means you can trust them. You can trust that they'll make good on their promises. From Genesis to Revelation, we see promise after promise from Jesus. When he finally appears as faithful and true, it means there he is. There's my king making good on every promise he ever made me. There is my salvation. There is my king. The great thing is, you can grab hold of his faithfulness right now. Get in the word and chew on it. Delight in it. Let the Holy Spirit light the word on fire in your heart, and you'll start to see that he has promises for you. He has miracles for you today. Here's another look at faithfulness. Imagine a wedding. The bride and groom are making their vows to one another. They promise to be faithful to each other. My friends, as a body, we are the bride of Christ. Jesus has made his vow to be faithful to me and to be faithful to you. He made his vows before the foundation of the world. He made his covenant on an altar. But that altar is called the mercy seat, and it's sprinkled with his own blood. Hallelujah. Meditate on this. Keep in your heart his faithfulness. In the end, it's beholding this part of the nature of Christ that makes us faithful to Christ and others in return. Now, Jesus is also revealed as true. 
In the Gospels, Jesus said that he himself was the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. He's the complete truth. There is no truth outside of him. If you're searching for answers, you start with Jesus. If you find your mind spinning in confusion, you start with Jesus. Again, you have to see him. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you. And there you'll see it. When you see him, <laughs> you'll say, it's true. You are worthy. Worthy of all honor and power and glory. It's true. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Everything the Lord says about himself is true. Alright, in this segment we're going to look at the Tower of Babel and Pentecost and what it can teach us about New Orleans today. First, let's look at the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11, verses 4 to 9. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Okay, time to take some bits of this passage apart. First, here's some context. Not too long ago in Genesis, God had made his covenant with Noah and his sons. His command to them was to replenish the earth. So we see in this passage that they're in clear rebellion by choosing to stay in one place to create a city. They decided that instead of following the command of their God, who had already spared them from the flood, they didn't want to scatter over the earth as they were commanded. What we also see is the pride of the people. Instead of wanting to honor the God who had mercy on them, they were looking for a way to make a name for themselves. What else is interesting here is the input from the Lord. Where he, where he admits that their unity, though in rebellion, could allow them to do anything. Okay, before we go any further, let's take a look at Pentecost in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Alright, 
Many of my friends from church and elsewhere are very familiar with this text, especially in the context of the birth of the church and being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. But what I want to focus on here is the picture of a unified people, God's way. All were filled, all were of one accord, and their message was one of declaring the wonders of God. What's more is that people of all different native languages heard their own language being proclaimed by a group of Galileans. Fast forwarding to the end of Peter's sermon, we know that this group of 3,000 people of different nationalities were unified and added to the church. Now here's what I want you to take away from this. In the case of Babel, where they tried to exalt themselves, the Lord saw it as sin and caused division amongst the people. In the case of Pentecost, we have people from different origins that were unified by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Babel, they tried to create a man-made structure that was supposedly meant to either touch heaven or be a place of worship of another idol. At Pentecost, we have the birth of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Here we see that Pentecost is the opposite of Babel, or the fulfillment of what was always meant to be. Instead of a building made of brick and mortar, God had always intended to build a temple that touched heaven, but made out of man, of living stones, housing the fire of God. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now what does that mean for us today? Are you, are you ready for me to step on some of your toes? I love you. I promise. <laughs> but check it out. Any movement today, no matter how virtuous it may seem, if it does not aim to exalt Christ, it is demonic in nature. What kind of movements could I be talking about? I've got three in mind that are a big part of our society today. Black Lives Matter, the LGBTQ movement, and the pro-choice agenda. Let's take a look at Black Lives Matter. Let's look at the fundamental truths of Christianity. Ever since Adam, man has had a fallen nature. Until a man is born again, they are a slave to sin and are bound to the kingdom of darkness. Therefore, no man-made movement could sustainably get rid of a sinful, and in this case, racist nature. Pentecost shows us what can unify people, and that is the fire of the Holy Ghost. Only being fully immersed in the love of God do we have a chance of being unified as a people. The Bible says that God is love, so any attempt at love, or in this case racial equality, without Christ at its center is futile. It's a waste of time. That might be a hard pill to swallow, but it's a waste of time. Literally, the only thing that matters, the only thing that saves, the only thing that leads to everlasting life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next, let's look at the LGBTQ movement. Same argument. If Christ and the liberating power of the blood of Jesus was at the center of this movement, the movement wouldn't even exist. But instead, we have a movement that champions a flag in the name of pride, that shouts equality, yet is really a perversion. This isn't about hating people, it's about hating the sin. When I see a cancer patient, I hate the cancer, not the patient. Now I empathize with people that are part of either the Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ movement. People want to belong, or to feel safe, or to feel loved. And a weak gospel will not set them free. Only a true encounter with power 
and the love of God can show a person that has been confused about their gender their whole life that they were indeed designed with a beautiful purpose. Now finally, the pro-choice agenda. What we have here is blatant murder in the name of a woman's right to choose. Demonic. It's truly demonic. Here's my point again. If it doesn't magnify Jesus Christ, then the ideal, the movement, the demonic spirit behind it needs to be wiped off the face of the earth. And it's going to start with New Orleans in Jesus' name. This city will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Jesus will be the banner over New Orleans. No movement will exist other than the agenda of the kingdom of God. No hate, no murder, no perversion of the Lord's perfect design will find its home here in this city. In Jesus' name. Alright, in this segment I want to take a look at what's been going on in New Orleans in the past year. The ministry feature for this week is the Let Us Worship movement led by worship leader Sean Foyt. Let Us Worship was birthed out of California in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, there are a million opinions out there about the actual deadliness of COVID, of how effective masks are, yada, yada, yada. Not trying to get into all of that in this podcast. The real issue I want to address, which is the issue that Let Us Worship was getting after, was the government sticking its nose where it doesn't belong. In several court cases involving ministries across the country, it was deemed unconstitutional for the government to say whether churches could assemble or not, whether they were considered, considered an essential service or not, and the manner in which churches chose to worship God. Jesus once asked in the Gospels, When I return, will I still find faith on this earth? If he came now, I believe he will. He'll find it in leaders across our country. In the hearts of the leaders of the church I attend here in New Orleans, and in the hearts of leaders like Sean Foyt, Rodney Howard Brown, and John MacArthur. Sean Foyt has been taking Let Us Worship, basically open-air worship sessions that are reminiscent of the Jesus Movement, all over the country for the past year now, and he has already come to New Orleans twice. These aren't just traveling bands singing their hearts out, though they're certainly doing that. Everywhere they go, they are also proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, getting people baptized in the Holy Spirit, and setting people free from addictions and various oppressions of the devil. This might sound strange, but I actually really like the level of opposition that it's getting across the country, and even from Mayor Cantrell when they came to Jackson Square last November. It's laughable. In the Bible, what government was ever on the same side of the people of God? Don't worry, I'll wait. <laughs> Just kidding. But think about it. From Egypt's Pharaoh in the time of Moses, King Nebuchadnezzar and the three Hebrew bro boys, to King Herod and the birth of Jesus, slaughtering all those babies in Bethlehem, to the Romans and the Sanhedrin, leading to the crucifixion of Jesus. There is a spirit of this world, and that spirit will never be for the move of God. Evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth once said, When the devil tells you not to do something, do it twice. Thankfully, Sean Foyt had the same idea and has been to our city twice already. But he's not here anymore. What will we as a church body do to carry the fire that he brought to our city? Will we just go back to the status quo? I think it's time to double down. What other church bodies will take open-air worship to the streets? What broken-down communities need to hear the gospel and the high praises of our most perfect God? Hopefully, it's one of you who are listening. And if it is, let me know on Twitter or Instagram so we can feature you and partner with you.
that's all I have for this week, guys. Here's a quick recap. Jesus, the one who is coming back for you, is faithful and true. But don't wait until the end of time to discover his faithfulness. Confess every promise that Jesus has made to you today and see that God's word will never return to him void. Additionally, the only movement that will solve the sin problem, whether it's racism, homosexuality, murder in the name of women's rights, is the advancement of the kingdom of God, powered by the fire of the Holy Ghost. And finally, Sean Foyt has already lit Holy Ghost fires here in New Orleans, twice with the Let Us Worship movement. Who here is going to continue to fan the flames? Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, my armor, the Great Awakening, and 50 Nights of Revival with Evangelist Robert Presson. Now before we go, how is revival impacting your part of New Orleans? Shoot it to me on Twitter or Instagram and get it featured on a future episode. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. See you next week. I love you.